I wanted to start off the message this morning a little differently than we normally do, but I think it ties into what I want to speak to you about. I ask you to pray for me because you may not still be there, but I'm still in the temple. <laughs> I'm still standing in front of the curtain and the Holy of Holies and the showbread and the other subject that I want to talk to you about this morning, which is the candlestick. And as we do that, I want to share with you a letter sent by our friend, Mr. Sammy Watson, who often sends in a donation for the March Design broadcast that broadcasts over here in Tuscaloosa. If there was any reason to keep the March Design broadcast going on in Tuscaloosa, it would be Sammy Watson. (laughs) We at least know he's listening. And this is the letter that he sent. He said, Dear Brother McCool, and it is to Bethlehem, I hope this note finds you and your family in good health. I trust all is well with you all. I am continuing to listen to your messages on the radio every Sunday morning. I look forward to hearing you speak each week, and on those rare occasions when I miss a Sunday, I feel as though my week is not getting started as it should. I know that there are probably many other listeners who feel the same way. I sure hope so. (laughs) I have spoken to several friends about listening to you preach on Sunday morning and hope that they will give your broadcast a listen. Thank you, Brother Sammy. I know there are many who are not in agreement with some of the things going on in their church today. Our country is in a divided state today, as you have mentioned, divided by politics, religion, the way they feel about the pandemic, and many other issues. As you have pointed out, that old devil must really be enjoying it. By the way, your insight on redemption hit home with me this past week. There are lots of examples of redemption in our history books. History, his story... I never thought of it that way before. Bless you, my friend, and keep the word coming. Sincerely, Sammy Watson. I would normally share that with you in just a praise report. I share that with you because I think it ties in to the message about the candlestick this morning. We're called upon to be light. What you were supporting in terms of this that I've just read to you in the radio messages going out, it is light to some people. That's what God intended for the message of the gospel to be. And we're in a unique age where we can send some light out over the radio waves. Not only that, and of course you know it goes out on Grace Alone Network too. You know, we've heard as far as New Zealand and even the Philippines in responses directly to Mars Design broadcast messages on Grace Alone. Brother Michael Goins has shared that with me. So it's not just upon the ministry to be light, okay? It's upon you to be light. And this morning as we look at Hebrews 9, as I told you, I'm still in the temple, (laughs) And I need you to pray for me so that what's on my mind, I can convey it and it will make sense. So Hebrews 9, we're going to read a few verses here. Now, I want you to pay careful attention. We don't usually read this many verses, but I want you to think about the temple and the temple worship. And as you're turning to Hebrews 9, remember the statement that was in the Alfred Edersheim history of the temple worship. He was a Scottish Jew who converted to Christianity. And I've been reading a good bit of him lately. It's a fascinating read. But he says... And it may be a quote from someone else, but he says in his history, he says that without religion, the Israelite has no history. And without history, the Israelite has no religion. Now you think about that. The Jewish person could not look back in in their history and not have it tied to their religion. Think about being taken out of Egypt and spared from slavery. And a nation was born in one night and the tabernacle worship was implemented You could not sever the Israelite from his history or his religion. Okay? So as we read this, think about that. This is the temple worship that God instituted in the history of Israel. Hebrews 9 and 1. Then verily the first covenant, that's Moses' law, had also ordinances of divine service in a worldly sanctuary. For there was a tabernacle made, 
the first wherein was the candlestick, our subject this morning, and the table and the showbread, that was our subject last week, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, in other words, behind the curtain, past those items, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer, that is just something they burned incense in, and the Ark of the Covenant, you're familiar with that, maybe you've seen Indiana Jones, <laughs> overlaid roundabout with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna, and Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of the covenant, you know, the Ten Commandments that Moses held up, and over it, the cherubims, over the Ark of the Covenant, the cherubims of glory, those were the angelic type beings that had wings, and their faces faced down towards the mercy seat on top of the Ark, and their wings went forward, almost touching one another, covering the mercy seat. Of which he says we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priest went always into the first tabernacle where was the showbread and where was the candlestick, accomplishing the service of God. But into the second, the holiest of holies, went the high priest alone. Only one person went into that holy of holies every year. Not without blood. He could not go without blood, which he offered for himself and for the errors of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered gifts and sacrifices that could not make them that did the service perfect. It was just a symbol, you see. As pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and diverse washings and carnal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. That's not talking about 15, 1600s with Martin Luther. It's talking about when Christ would come and do away with the need for this, what sounds like a very complex form of worship. That is the history of Israel. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. He's talking about heaven. Neither by the blood, this is one of my favorite verses, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, that is heaven, having obtained eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and of goats and the ashes of an heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctified to the purifying of the flesh. In other words, if that was appropriate in the Old Testament, how much more? Shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve a living God? Many people say that Jesus is offering himself to you. That's not what the Bible says. Jesus offered himself to God so that his sacrifice would be acceptable on your behalf. It's total opposite, isn't it? It's amazing. And for this cause, he, Jesus, is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death... For the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. That's a lot to read. But I think even a child can understand that. The summary of it is there was an outer area of the temple where the showbread was and where the candlestick was. And then there was the curtain, the thick curtain. Some say it was, you know, six to 12 inches thick. There was that thick curtain that contained and hid the Ark of the Covenant with those things in there that was described. And only the high priest could go in once a year. And he better not go in without blood. He had to take blood and he sprinkled it on the, and guess what, the mercy seat that was down beneath the wings of the cherubims, the golden cherubims. You know, that's an animal that nobody's ever seen except a couple people. That's a creation of God, an animal. I guess you'd call it an animal. It's a glorious being that he's created to cry out, holy, holy, holy to his name for all of eternity. 
That's an animal or a creation that I'm looking forward to seeing. It's, it's not a lion. It's not a horse. You know, it's something we've just really never seen before. It's a higher creation of God than the animal kingdom. And the high priest would go in there and he would sprinkle the blood on that mercy seat. In tradition, they say that a high priest had bells on his robe. So every time he would make a move, you know, he couldn't sneak up on anybody. Every time he would move, you'd hear those bells jingling. And if they ever stopped hearing the bells jingling, it was probably the fact that he was dead. Because God was not pleased with something he was doing inside the Holy of Holies. Some say, I've read some histories that say that they tied a rope to one of the legs of the priest. So if he did die, they'd just pull him out rather than having to go in there in the Holy of Holies and risk getting killed themselves. This was a very complex form of worship. Aren't you glad that you live in the New Testament economy? The New Testament house of God where it's so simple. Where through the showbread of God, the bread of God, Jesus Christ... We present ourselves to him through him. Isn't it wonderful? As I said, the Scottish historian who converted to Christianity said that without history, the Israelite has no religion. And without religion, the Israelite has no history. You need to think in terms of those things too. Now, we're not Israel as the United States of America. But you need to think in terms of those things in regard to the foundation of America. Because without Christianity, listen to me now, there is no America. That's a fact. That's a historical fact That the woke culture is trying to take your mind away from that. And the higher institutions of learning, which I have been to some of those, and I've gotten degrees from some of those, but the higher institutions of learning and their pride and their arrogance are trying to take you away from the fact that without Christianity, there's no America. Now, we can't turn that around and say without America, there is no Christianity, though. (laughs) Because God's going to sustain his church and his people throughout all of time, whether there is an America or not. Now, let us go into the Holy of Holies. We've already entered there. And I want you to think about it. I think if I've done my calculations, I get confused on directions. And I also get confused on math. So I couldn't have been a surveyor and I couldn't have been a mathematician. (laughs) But we're facing west. So this would be north to my right. This would be south. To my left and east would be back this way. So when the priests entered the temple, that's, this is the way, as I'm standing facing you, this is the way that they entered the temple. The Holy of Holies would be behind the curtain to the west. As they entered, the curtain would be there to the west. You'd come in from the east. And you, you say, well, that was complicated. It was complicated, but it was still rather simple too. Because when you went in there, there wasn't a bunch of hodgepodge and a bunch of stuff. When the priest walked in, he looked over to the right, and there's the table of the showbread with how many loaves of bread? Guys, you remember? Twelve, thank you. Twelve loaves of bread over here. That bread represents Christ, and that bread represents you because he will have his people there. The bread of God, Jesus, will make sure that his people, which is his bread, his sustaining and his satiation of his hunger, he will have them there. All of these things point to Christ. Okay, don't don't let me lose you, okay? Shake your face and if you're a little sleepy and just bump your head and say, let's stay with it. Let's get something out of it. Here is the showbread over here to the right on the golden table. Over here to the left is the uh, candlestick. It says that in Hebrews 9 and 2. He says, for there was a tabernacle made, the first wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. So let's... Get in our minds as you walk in that temple, showbread over here to the right, candlestick over here to the left. It's very interesting that the Lord has positioned this from east to west to the Holy of Holies. You let that hang in your mind and hopefully we'll explain that here in a minute. Now, when it says candlestick here in Hebrews 9 and 2, 
It literally means a lampstand. It's from the Greek word luknos. It's interesting that the word look is in that Greek word because the candlestick with the light lit on it allows you to look. It allows you to see. It comes from a root word that means light or white. Okay, and it's literally a candelabra. Now, in the Old Testament, Exodus 25 and 31, which we're going to turn there in just a moment, it is called in the Hebrew, the menorah. Some of you may have heard that term. I was unfamiliar with it till I began to study this. But it's a common used term among Jewish culture still, the menorah. Okay, and it's a candelabra is what it is. And it was to have six stems on one side and six stems on the other side. And best I can tell, one in the middle. So there's seven total. Okay, now that's significant. You say, well, I wonder if he had you know, 12 loaves of bread. Why not 12? I think there's a reason for that. We'll get to that, Lord willing. So it's got seven lights coming off of it, seven candle holders coming off of it. You say, well, we have no idea what that looks like. Actually, we do. There is a recreation of the Arch of Titus. Titus was the general that wiped out Jerusalem in AD 70. And when those generals would come back into Rome victorious from doing the things that they did, they would often build an arch and tribute. Titus, who eventually became the Roman emperor, the arch of Titus had on it when they carved it, it had a menorah on there. He had just come from destroying Jerusalem and the temple, which was divine decree of God for him to destroy and wipe out that worship and that nation that had rejected his son. (laughs) It was divine. I'm not saying that God authorized and approved every crime that was committed whenever he would destroy the old and the young. But it was a divine judgment where the Lord just stepped back. Titus came in and wiped out Jerusalem. And so I don't know if the arch is still around, but I know that there is a recreation of the arch. I think it's maybe up in a museum in New York. But in the recreation of that arch, you can see this menorah. It has some things on there that are pagan, which would not apply to the Jewish folks. But it's clear that what they're doing is bringing that which they had captured from Jerusalem from the temple. And so you can see a picture of that menorah. They they pretty much know what it looks like. It's a gold, glorious looking, real heavy, big thing. It's not just a little candelabra. It's big. Enough about the description of what it looked like. I want you to notice in Exodus 25 and 31. This is what God told Moses to make this menorah or this candelabra out of Exodus 25. Now let's read verse 30. So you'll see this talking about showbread and the candlestick. And thou shalt set up on the table showbread before me always. And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knops and his flowers shall be of the same. And the six branches shall come out of the sides of it. Three branches of the candlestick out on the one side, three branches of the candlestick out on the other side. And he goes on and he describes more details that he wanted Moses to put into this candelabra. Verse 34, and the candlestick shall be four bowls made like in the almonds with their knops and their flowers. Boy, the Lord was real specific how he wanted it, wasn't he? And by the way, you... Ladies and designers, and maybe some men are, are, you know, designers or have that mentality. I don't. (laughs) But I want you to think, you say, well, I can't identify with the Lord. Look at how the Lord described he wanted his house to be beautified and how he wanted it to look. He's the ultimate designer. There should be a knop under two branches of the same. A knop would just be like a cup. And he goes on and he describes, verse 36, all of it shall be one beaten work of pure gold. And then he says, Thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof. That's what makes me know that he had three on one side and one in the middle. But notice this. Here's what we want to talk about. You got your, in your mind the picture of when you walk in this temple, you see the tabernacle, the outer court. You see the showbread, and then you see the menorah or 
the light, the candelabra over here to the left. Okay, here's what's significant about it. First of all, it was to be made of pure gold. The root of the word pure means bright, clear, unadulterated, uncontaminated, holy, cleansed, purged, purified. Do you know what you have to do to purify gold? You have to put it in the fire. You have to heat it up. As a matter of fact, Proverbs 17 and 3 says the fining pot is for silver and the furnace is for gold. You have to put it in the fire. And I'll tell you, child of grace, that the Son of God was put in the fire. And this lamp, this candelabra, as you will see, is not only a representation of the Son of God, the light, capital L, but it is also a representation of the church of God. Because in this world, the light that holds up, the candelabra, if you will, that holds up the light that lightens the world is the church of God. And the Lord designed the church of God. He designed it to move forward through the ages being tried by fire. We don't know anything about this. I think one of the reasons that I hear so many preachers preaching about this, and the way, and I feel burdened to preach about it, is because those times are coming again. You say religion is kind of stagnated. That's right. And we, in general, as Christians, have done a poor job of representing the Lord in general in the world. Now, I'm not talking about you locally. I think you're doing a wonderful job. But you understand, in general, there's not an adequate representation of our Lord. The way that the Lord has been represented through most of history until the last couple hundred years is through the fire. There's a reason that the Lord said, make this thing of pure gold. And let me say this also. Very few people get this. This is important. You think about a person like the prodigal son or think about someone you know or think about yourself. Many people say, well, I've just gone too far. You know, there's no way that I could ever be beneficial to God. I've done too much. I've sinned too much. I've gone too far. Look, look at how far the prodigal son went. There's no telling what the prodigal son got into when he had all that money. And then after he had all that money and lost it, there's no telling what he did just to survive. No telling. And a lot of times people that have been to places like the prodigal son say, I'm just kind of giving up. There's just no reason to go back. And this is what they miss right here. That person should put themselves in the fire. I don't mean <laughs> burn themselves and hurt themselves. I mean that they should... At all costs, withdraw from whatever is is hurting them. It might be drugs. It might be sex. It might be alcohol. They should withdraw themselves and submit themselves to the purifying fire of serving God. I know whereof I speak. There was a time in my life when I was just as happy in, in a natural sense as I could be. I was doing what I wanted to do. I was running with who I wanted to run with. I was doing the things that I thought I was called even to do. And praise be to God, the Lord woke me up. And I realized I've got to get away from this that will destroy me. That was many, many years ago. And you know what I did? I took myself away from those things and those people. They were good people. Some of them I still talk to occasionally today. But I was with them for a different purpose. I've said this before. that This probably never would have happened because Brother Neil is too good of a guy. But you know what a good guitar player Brother Neil is. And he and I were in school along with Sister Julie too. She was up there. We were all three in Birmingham around the same time. Me at Sanford and Brother Neil at UAB. Sister Julie was at Birmingham Southern. And I said, well, I wish I'd have met you sooner, Brother Neil. And I got to thinking about that. Brother Neil, could, he could wear out a guitar. And that's what I was doing back then. I was playing music all the time. And I thought, you know, I'm glad I didn't meet Brother Neil back then. Because I might have recruited him into my little music business. <laughs> and when I had to set that apart, when I had to get away from that, 
You know, I, I might have had to let that friendship go too. You see, it doesn't mean that you hate someone. It doesn't mean that you're angry with someone. It just means that you want to cleanse yourself from that walk that was sinful. That's what a lot of people that walk in sin and have lived habitually in sin, they don't get that. They say, those folks over at church, they're better than me. I can't interact with them. I can't identify with them because I've gone too far. But what they don't know is most of the folks over at church have experienced very similar things themselves, (laughs) including the pastor here. So when I withdrew myself and separated myself, there were some people that were upset, very upset with me. We were making a lot of money doing that. And I put myself over here. I didn't say, hey, I'm going to go jump in the fire. (laughs) But I put myself in a fire. And I got some things burned out of me to cleanse me. Doesn't mean I'd never sin again. I've sinned many times since that time. But for that sin, for me, it might be something else for somebody else. Putting yourself in the fire is a good thing. It cleanses you. It helps you become pure again. It might be sexual sin. It might be drugs. It might be alcohol. It might be an angry attitude. You understand? There's a remedy in the fire for an angry attitude. (laughs) But that's what we miss. Listen to me. We would not have the account of the prodigal son if he had the attitude, I'm just not good enough to go back home. You're right. He was not good enough. None of us are good enough to go home to the church of God. Christ is good enough, though. Christ has cleansed us so that we can We wouldn't have the account of the prodigal son if he had said, I've just done too much. I've gone too far. I have sinned too much. Look at how he put himself in the fire and he cleansed himself. You see, he went back to the place that's the most least likely place you would have ever seen him turn up again. And there was a cleansing that went on there. How? Confession. Renewal of fellowship. You see? People that stay over here on the side and don't have the experience that the prodigal son have, don't go into the fire of repentance, to burn out that dross and get away from it, they never see what the possibilities could be for their life. What about Rahab? Aren't you glad that we have the account of Rahab? Now, there's a similar situation like the prodigal son where she was in a terrible circumstance. And you know those thoughts went through her mind. I'm just not good enough to go over there and be among those Israelites. I'm not good enough to be spared. Yet she still called her family there. She still saved her father, her mother, her brothers, her sisters, her cousins, and whoever else were in her house that day when the walls came tumbling down. I'm so glad that Rahab didn't take the position, well... You know, I've just done too much. I just, you know, being a harlot in a brothel all of my life, I've just gone too far. Aren't you glad we have the account of Rahab? You see, there's a ceremonial cleansing in the fire. And that's how God told them to build and make his candelabra, his candlestick. Notice it also said it is to be a beaten work. And if you look up the definition of beaten, it means to mold something by hammering. Have you ever been to a blacksmith shop? I'm mesmerized by that. I just love to watch that happen when they heat up the metal. I've watched the movies and stuff and seen them do the swords and all, but I've also been to some blacksmith shops and watched them make, you know, different items, maybe something for a horse or maybe something for a plow or even some kind of utensil. And it's just amazing. He'll just take that thing and he'll just flip it and then he'll boom, and then he'll flip it. and he'll just, It's just a rhythm he's got there. It's amazing. And you know what he's doing? I mean, you know, stick your hand under there and see how that would feel. It would hurt. <laughs> You know, it's not a pleasant experience that's going on when he is beating that metal. He's injuring that metal. I'm not saying it's got feelings, but he is beating and hammering that metal to put it into the form that it needs to be. Are y'all with me this morning? You see, if that's a representation of the church of God, the church of God gets hammered. It gets hammered. Now, we haven't been hammered hardly at all 
in the United States of America in the last however many years. But that's how the church of God shines its light. It gets hammered. It happened in the days whenever the church was new and persecution went out by the emperors of Rome. And it, you know what it caused? It didn't shut the church down. The blood of the martyrs, it was actually what fueled and built the church. <laughs> you know, more people would become Christians whenever the church gets hammered. See, but it's mesmerizing to watch that blacksmith turn something that just looks like a molten lump into something that you can use. And God said, I want you to take it and purify it. Get the dross out of the gold by heating it up and then take it and beat it into the form of this beautiful candelabra. It took quite an artisan to do that, did it not? By injuring the gold, he would form it into this beautiful candelabra. Now listen, once it was, once it was completed, once it had been the dross had been purified. It had been, the dross had been taken out and the gold had been purified and it had been beaten into the shape that the Lord wanted it to be. So it would be this beautiful candelabra. Then it was set in the temple there. It was set in the outer sanctuary and guess what? It was lit up. It, it had candles in it and that candle was supposed to never go out. Never. There was somebody in charge of that candle, candelabra. It was the only light in the temple. You think about that. The only light. When you went into the temple, it's curtains, badger skins on the outside, beautiful ornate designs on the inside, beautiful. Didn't look like much on the outside. Is that not the way the old church has been through the ages, 2,000 years? It doesn't look much like, look like much on the outside. And especially if you're an old Baptist. People say, well, you don't have this, you don't have that, you don't have the other. <laughs> well, just come on on the inside and you'll see what we do have. And it's the light of God. All the focus is on Jesus Christ. So when you lit that candle up, that candelabra, those seven candles, those candles lit up the showbread. Remember what the showbread is? It's a picture of Christ. It lit up the Holy of Holies where you could see what was hanging there and you knew what was behind it. The candle lit up the Holy of Holies. I don't know, it was a few weeks ago around Christmas. We came into mom's house. I just overheard it. Mom said to Sister Tracy, she said, can you go around the house and make sure... That all the candles are blown out. Because I asked Asher to light up two candles and he lit up every candle in the house. <laughs> I don't know what went through Sister Tracy's mind. She was probably like, oh my goodness. But you know, when I heard it, I was like, that's exactly what I would have done. <laughs> <laughs> so he probably lit up about 30 candles. In the bedrooms, in the bathroom, in the den. And everywhere he could find a candle, he lit it up. <laughs> Mom said, can you go put out 30 of them and leave the two? <laughs> every candle on this candelabra was lit up and it shined on the showbread and it shined on the holy of holies. Now I want you to think about this too. The candelabra itself did not somehow mysteriously generate light, right? You know, they had to take a candle and put it in the cup or the bowl of each of the little individual lampstands and they had to light it. You know, it held the light. Y'all understand that? So if the candelabra is a picture, and it is, of the church of God, the church itself is not the light. It is holding up the light of God, you see? It's to be a reflection of the light of God. Listen, that's pretty simple, isn't it? you got showbread, you got candelabra, you got holy of holies with Ark of the Covenant. When you get in there, that's pretty simple. Now, it was real complex. You know, sacrificing the lambs, sacrificing the heifers, sacrificing the goats and all that stuff. That's a lot of complication. But when you got in the temple now, it was pretty simple. Are you with me? You look over here, you got showbread. You look over here, you got a candelabra. There's a holy of holies. Don't worry about it, because unless you're the high priest, you can't go in there. The church is pretty simple, is it not? The church of God is to shine the light 
on the showbread and on the Holy of Holies. And it's not like the Old Testament where you just had to look at that curtain. The Holy of Holies has been opened. Christ entered the Holy of Holies in heaven. His blood was sufficient for your case, for your sin. And now, it's almost like now we come into the the sanctuary of God and we just hold up the light because the Holy of Holies has been penetrated by Christ. You say, well, what about that mercy seat? That's the throne of God where Jesus sits and He has forgiven you for your sins. And the cherubim bow to Him now in heaven and cry, holy, holy, holy. You want a picture of that throne room? You go read the book of Ezekiel. You want another picture of it? Read the book of Revelation where John himself, the apostle, goes into the throne room and describes these amazing events that are going on. And that's what's going on in heaven. Everything points to the Lamb of God. The purpose of the church of God, like the candlestick, the candelabra in the temple, is to hold up the light and to shine on the holy of holies and to shine on the showbread. Okay? Remember Matthew, the fifth chapter? Jesus said, ye are the light of the world. And I love the description that he gives there. In Matthew 5, he gives the description of what you are as individuals and also as the church of God. Because if you think about all this coming together, look at Matthew 5 and we read in verse 14. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Notice the imagery. A city. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Notice he starts out with the city. We've given you that analogy before. He says the city is lit up. Okay, why? Because the individual people in their homes have candles lit. It's not like back in these days, it's not like it is today where you can see a city from miles around. Now you can see some of it back in those days, but not like the bright lights and the power company, you know, running lights and all that type of stuff. Back in these days, if you were going to see anything, it was coming from candlelight or torches. So you see... You say, what difference can I make? I'm just a little old nothing. Well, you can join the nothing club with me. (laughs) Just let your light shine. Let your good works be seen before men. And just light up the little house that you're in. Don't bring darkness to those around you. Don't bring despair. Bring light to those that are around you. And guess what? You light up the house. And if you're doing that, and I'm doing that, and another brother, sister over here, different ones are doing that. You know what? It's a city set on a hill. It's lighting up and Little wayfaring strangers as they go along can see the light. What's the root of it? It's the capital L, Jesus, the light of God. Now, look at Revelation 1. I think you're praying for me because at least I feel like I'm making sense. I hope you feel that way. If you don't, don't tell me. Just let me stay in complete ignorance. Revelation 1. Revelation 1 and verse 11, John on the Lord's day, on Sunday, on Sunday morning, John on the island of Patmos, he's a prisoner, he has no friends, no family, and the island of Patmos was a rock, it was a barren wasteland of a rock. And he could look across the ocean there and see the mainland. You know, he did that probably many times. Maybe seeing ships sailing by. But he is a prisoner, he's sent there to be in the fire Because he's preaching the word of God. He was a witness to the resurrection of Christ. And on the Lord's day, (laughs) on a Sunday morning, the Lord spoke to him. He says, I was in the spirit, verse 10, on the Lord's day. And he heard behind him a voice. (laughs) 
And the voice said, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. What thou seest, write in a book and send it to the seven churches, which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Don't you know that would have been encouraging if you were a prisoner and thinking, I have no purpose left. I'm just going to die here on this rock. He was probably in his 60s or 70s, maybe 80s when this happened. He probably thought, well, I'm soon to see the Lord. And the Lord says, i got a message for you to deliver. You're going to get off of this rock, and you're going to go back over there and talk to these seven churches. And this is the last love letter, conquering love letter that the Lord gives to his people. Now watch this. John hears the sound of the voice, and he turns, and he sees the voice that spake with him. And being turned, he saw seven golden candlesticks. Listen to the imagery. Listen to what's going on here. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, what are we talking about this morning? The candelabra, the candlestick in the temple. And there was one like unto the son of man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. And it goes on and describes Jesus. And then he begins to speak as John falls down on his face as one dead. He says in verse 17, fear not, I am the first and the last, and I want the last verse. Remember, he saw seven golden candlesticks and seven stars being held in the hand. In my mind's eye, I just see those stars just kind of circling around in his hand. You know, it sounds like magic, but it's not magic. It's God. It's created glory. See? And he says in verse 20, The mystery of the seven stars which thou saw in my right hand and the seven golden candlesticks, the seven stars are the angels or the preachers of the seven churches. And the seven candlesticks which thou saw are the seven churches. Y'all hear that? Don't tell me for a second that the church of God is not a candelabra, a candlestick upon which the light of God is to be held up. It's a beaten candlestick. It's made of pure gold. It's pure in the eyes of God. You say, well, I'm not pure. Your very confession of saying I'm not pure is what purifies it. You see? That's the mystery of the kingdom of God. You say, the way up is down. The way down is up. That's the your confession of, I'm no good. I don't belong here. I shouldn't be a part of this. That is the very thing that the Lord sees as pure in His church. Isn't that glorious? You're the light of the world, church. And look at Hebrews 10 as we close our thoughts here this morning. I want this to be nailed home for you. I didn't notice this until I heard preaching on this here not too long ago. And I just about came out of my chair when I heard it. I was listening to it on the radio. If you're following behind me in the vehicle I'm driving and you recognize it's me and you ever see it go like that, it could be because I've messed up and maybe texted somebody. But it's most likely because I'm listening to some sermon and I heard a good point. And I go, whoa, that's a good one. That's kind of like an amen. But get back on the road. You know, that's a fact. You know, that happened to Sister Megan DeJarnett. You remember that? She called me up on the phone years ago when she came to see the truth. She'd been dating Brother Curtis and coming here for months and close to a year. And she called me up. I could tell she was smiling. You know how somebody calls you up and you tell they're smiling? And then you also tell when folks are just, you know, they got their smile turned upside down. But she called me and she said, I get it, Brother Tim. I get it. I said, what do you get, sister? She said, I'm riding down the road and I get it. Ephesians 2 and 1, we're dead. I tell you what, only old Baptists can rejoice in the fact that we were dead. I mean, how many people can rejoice and say, hey, I was dead. That's something to rejoice about. You know why you rejoice? Because you're alive by the Spirit of God. And I told her, I said, calmly pull over to the side of the road, put your vehicle in park, and let's talk. You ever see me swerve a little bit? It might be texting, but it's probably because I'm listening to a sermon and rejoicing. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. You say, that's going to be great, Brother Tim, one day. Let me tell you something. This is not talking about one day. This is talking about right now. 
listen, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil. Remember the veil of the temple? You go in, showbread, candelabra. It shines on the showbread. It shines on the veil of the temple. What happened to the veil of the temple whenever Jesus cried out, it is finished, and he committed his spirit into the hands of God, and he flew back to heaven under the spirit of God. I tell you, that spirit split the veil of the temple in two, and it was ripped from top to bottom. Usually something rips from bottom to top, right? It was ripped from top to bottom. One of the last acts of our Lord as he ascended back into heaven before the three days and three nights were up. Jesus Christ, by his flesh, by his blood, has made a new and living way for us through the veil. You want to know what that veil represented? It represented his flesh. It was the flesh of God that was the access to the Holy of Holies, to the mercy seat. We get to the mercy seat through the flesh, through the veil, through the flesh of Jesus Christ. Boy, that's beautiful, isn't it? And having a high priest over the house of God, watch this now. We've got access to the Holy of Holies. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much the more as you see the day approaching. (laughs) You catch that? He's talking about church worship. Let me tell you, child of God, as you come into the temple in your mind's eye, your spiritual eye this morning, and you see the showbread. What is that showbread? It is the Son of God, Jesus Christ, the bread of God. And as you look upon the veil there that was on the temple that was ripped in two, it was the flesh of Jesus Christ that gave us access into the Holy of Holies. And we come in there and we see the mercy seat before God. And we, we hear, holy, holy, holy is the Son of God. How did we get in there? And what shines the light on it? It's the church of God, the candelabra of God. God. Now, if that doesn't bless you in some way or another, something's wrong with you. (laughs) The Holy of Holies is the church of God. If you could keep that thought in your mind and your heart for the rest of this week, I think you'd be here next week, wouldn't you? (laughs) Nothing would get in the way. I'm going to the Holy of Holies. You look at me and you say, well, Brother Tim, you don't look very holy. (laughs) Amen. I'll tell you what, I don't feel very holy either. But I can tell you about one that is holy. I can tell you about one that had his veil, his flesh, ripped and torn and shredded by the wicked devices of men. One who put himself willingly in the fire. You see, the fire of men was bad. I'm going to tell you something that was hotter, something that was worse than the fire of men. I tell you, the fire of the wrath of God. As he hung there on that cross, as his body had been shredded by the Romans... And he hung there on that cross. I tell you, God poured out his own wrath upon his son for the purpose of saving you from your sins. Therefore, you are cleansed. You can come into the Holy of Holies. I want to join again this morning. (laughs) The church shines the truth of God. It shines on the Holy of Holies, Jesus Christ. It shines on the veil, which was his flesh. It shines on the bread, which is Jesus Christ. Are we shining? I know you thought I forgot about why we come in from the east. The priest would come in from the east. He would face the west. And behind the veil of that curtain was the Holy of Holies. So when the veil of the curtain was ripped open and you turned around and all of that way was made by Christ, you're facing east, right? You know how many graves when people are buried face east? Did you know that? Check it out. I'm not saying every one. And they might be like me and not realize which way was east or west when they buried them. <laughs> But for the most part, 
Christians have laid their dead down in a grave with a headstone. So why don't they face this way? Why don't they face west? They face east. Because that's where the Lord's coming from. He's coming from the east. Now, I know he's coming from the north, but the symbolism cannot be missed. So when we come to the church of God, <laughs> I wish Brother Luke was here. I'm fixing to give a Lord of the Rings quote. <laughs> the Battle of Helm's Deep. <laughs> Gandalf the wizard had told them to look for his coming on the fifth day. Look to the east. You don't tell me for a second that Tolkien didn't have symbolism in that. <laughs> and forever in my mind is imprinted that scene in the movie. I had it in my mind when I read the book, but now Peter Jackson has printed it in my mind forever. <laughs> The east as the dawn came and the riders came down and saved the day. <laughs> Don't tell me there's not symbolism of our Lord in that. No matter how bad things get, Washington, D.C., the halls of Congress is not the light of the world. The president's mansion and the president or the governors of this world, they are not the light of the world. We may have good and godly men or women serving in those places sometimes, but they are not the light of the world. It is the beaten church of God that is the light of the world. It is the ceremonially cleansed gold of the church of God of which you are a part of. If you're not, you ought to be. It's quite an interesting invitation, isn't it? Come serve the Lord. Come and be beaten. Come and be mocked and scoffed and laughed at for the name of Christ. It is a strange invitation. But I tell you, child of God, he's worthy. He is worthy. First of all, church, let your light shine. Just one little candle can light up so much. The girls and I have gone hunting a few afternoons looking for a deer that the girls could shoot. (laughs) We'd be sitting there somewhere on the farm and inevitably through the trees as it got dark, you could see the light maybe of the old house or the light of a neighbor through the trees. I'd be like, hey, hey. Hey, look, 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 there's a little little glimmer through the trees. Or, hey, you know, hey, look over there. That's They can't see it. Well, then, you know, position yourself over here where you can see it. There's the old house. <laughs> I said, what is that light? It's the old house. Or that's Uncle Chris's house or whatever. It just takes a little bit of light to be noticed. Shine on the holy of holies. Let your light shine. Parents, point your children to this holy of holies. Point their relationships and their friendships into the holy of holies, the church of God. No matter what you have to go through, no matter how many times you have to sit at the foot of the bed and talk about how to get along with so-and-so and and get along with this one and -and so-and-so said this and -and so-and-so said that. We've all been through that. It's worth it because you're coming to the Holy of Holies. It's dark out there. We need the light. We need the light. Many times the light has come to me in my life. Natural light. I remember when I was a boy and somebody would put a night light in there and it made me feel safe. And I remember later in my life, we would go out on the farm sometimes with my children and we'd take a spotlight and see what we could see at night. <laughs> sometimes in the house while I'm making my way through the dark, when bless her heart, Sister Tracy's rearranged the furniture again, third or fourth time in the same week, and I fall over something. <laughs> i got to have a light. <laughs> Praise be to God, I would have given a million dollars if I had it for a light on that mountainside in Hawaii whenever we were complete, absolute, abject darkness. If I'd had a million dollars, I'd have given it. I didn't have a light. But there's no natural light that can compare to the light of the gospel, the light of the truth, the light of salvation by grace. Now, that light is more precious than any natural light that we could ever see. I stand before you today to preach to you in the 20th year of being a pastor here. This is my 20th year. I stand before you in this 20th year because the light of the gospel came to me and changed my life. I found myself in the fire. I found the dross. I still need some dross burnt out big time. <laughs> but I found myself in the fire. I found the dross being burnt out. 
And I tell you, I would do it a thousand. That's, that's one thing I would go back and do again. <laughs> There's a lot of things I'd go back and do differently, but I would go back and follow the Lord when the light came. Child of grace, there's no better place to follow the Lord than in the church of God. The candelabra is the church. The holy of holies is the church of God. Let's let our light shine. If you haven't done that, it's a great time to do it. It's a great time to come and be a part of the church of God. We give it opportunity as we stand and sing.